0: It's packed full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Dave Lush, the CTO at Mindgym. Mindgym apply the latest science to provide psychological training that enables people to perform at their best. Dave talks me through his practical approach to finding work, which he views similarly to a customer acquisition funnel. He talks about the growth he achieved by joining a really intriguing mess as well as how that experience helped him overcome his own imposter syndrome. As well as tips for spotting a negative culture during interviews, Dave shares his views on the longevity of intrinsic rewards compared to an extrinsic. As well as tips for spotting a negative culture during interviews. Dave shares his views on the longevity of intrinsic rewards compared to extrinsic, as well as the importance of a values match with your company in order to do your best work.
1: What's the funnel? Is when when you are looking for a job. Um, is, I guess it's the same as like a customer acquisition funnel. You know, there's a very wide end of a funnel that everything goes into. Um, and then there's the tip of the spear on the far side, which is for success and is for conversion. But in my head, this is your funnel for a job search. So that is I, um, I'm going to apply for lots of things. Um, some of them are never going to come back to me. Some of them are going to lead to an interesting conversation. Some of those interesting conversations are going to, but I, but I get really emotionally attached to a job and I'm, I can't wait to work there. They're never going to come back to me. And it's just going to, it's going to disappear into the ether. Um, and it's going to become less and less and less as you work through the funnel until you get to the right job and the one that you're really looking for um, and that's not necessarily the first one that you get offered on
0: it's almost like don't don't get too attached at the beginning because the the likelihood is the laws of nature mean that that thing you are really interested in at the beginning either way won't work out or, or just isn't going to be right
1: Absolutely, um, and, and I'm 42 now, and as much as I say that and I give that advice, I still did it last time I looked for a job. I remember, um, do you remember have you heard of Arrival.com? We get electric vans. Yeah. Um, I remember applying there, and it just like, oh, God, that'd be amazing. I'd love to work there. Never heard back. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's difficult to do.
0: Did you adopt the funnel at the beginning of your, of your time? Or was this something you no. learned?
1: like early in my career. Yeah, it's just something that I found myself iterating towards. Um, Definitely early in career, didn't do it at all. And it's only probably my last job search if I formalized it and structured it in a Trello board. So I I gave myself a way of organizing the information instead of just holding, you know, trying to hold everything in your head and being not as organized as you could be.
0: I'd love to go back to the start and Visa. Cause you got a really interesting background, going from Visa to Onzo, and then now Mind Gym. The big bit there being your progression at Visa, like that must have been that must be so different from Mind Gym now. What's the story there?
1: Yeah, well, so I actually worked somewhere before Visa as well, but it's pretty just a little footnote at the bottom of my CV. So I was, um, in a place mm. like a ten-person company for four years before Visa. Um, and then thought I need to, I want to put that I need. I wanted to go and get a big brand on my CV, just something as recognizable as um the next stage of my career. Um I had a choice of Lockheed Martin or Visa and thought actually I want to go Visa was more varied in terms of the people that were working there and the backgrounds, etc. Um and it was <laughs> it was like working for local council a little bit at first. So I'd gone from like this fast-paced 10 percent Ten-person business into a large corporate, so understandably quite risk averse, um, and 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 just told repeatedly, slow down, slow down. You know, take take your time a little bit more. Um, and I guess I, I spent nine years at Visa um, and progressed from uh, like a junior engineer through into engineering manager roles, and then uh, looked after sort of digital development area, and then helped set up engineering for an incubators area. Um. And as much as I said, I say it was risk averse. I think I was patient and I spent time um, trying to, I guess, trying to get control of our dev environments first of all, and then the ability to push into production environments. So you've the ability to move quickly, basically, which is the antithesis of working in financial services. Um, so we, uh, and yeah, and it, it, it was successful and it worked really well, but it just took a long time to get there. Um, and a really enjoyable journey is you're um, learning not just the technical skills, but then learning the, the management, the leadership skills as well, and then influence in a in a, not the fastest organisation.
0: It's amazing that you're able to have the the characteristics to like deal with the big company, but also the smaller company. What was the incubator part to that? Was there a part to it where at Visa it was, you were dealing with slightly smaller companies?
1: yeah um yeah so the um up until a year before finishing there was still sort of big internally facing large product builds um, and then the final year was a shift towards um, setting up more of an innovation area um, in visa um, and we were we building sort of new pilot products effectively so we weren't we're dealing a little bit with small partners um but it wasn't necessarily about um it definitely wasn't like that small startup culture or anything like that. But it gave me a taste for it of, you know, building um, new simple products from Greenfield Ideas. Um, So then the shift into Onza, if you want me to go on to it, will
0: Yeah, yeah. When did you know the right time?
1: Well, yeah, so again, leaving Visa was a choice between ITV and um, Onza, which Onza was like people were not heard of is a little 30-person startup um, focused on smart meter data and data analytics. Um, and again, I was very much, I'm going to go work for ITV. It's going to be brilliant. I can't wait. Um, and then had a last minute wobble about a week or two before you been due to start and just said, actually, I don't want to go work for another massive company. Um, and flipped across, went to take a head of engineering role with Onza, which was in in a mess as well, to be fair. You know, it wasn't like a uh, an amazing sales pitch of this glorious company on the hockey stick growth. It was we've fired all the engineers. We're down to two engineers. We um, the the technical systems a mess. It doesn't uh, doesn't achieve scale. The, the single tenant deployments from different code branches. Um, but it was just a, it was a really intriguing mess with a lot of potential and like a really interesting product idea. Um, so I spent another three or four years. There, I think four years actually. Rebuilding the team, rebuilding the platform. And I guess actually trying to quash imposter syndrome. You know, so the, the successes I've had at Visa, are they really my successes? Or are they um is is that the people around me that have achieved so that? So let's go start from scratch again and see if you can repeat some of the things that went well. Um, yeah, and, and I guess, yeah, get get the confidence for the long term. And yeah, and it, it was sorry, it was successful <laughs> punchline.
0: What was it about? onzo that helps you get over that imposter syndrome and have you got over it
1: um yes definitely got over it um we so we went from two people to about 17 engineers there um we rebuilt this sort of scrappy single tented, what was basically a prototype built it in rebuilt it into like a multi tented platform that um did i think about 100 times more scale when i left than when i joined um and and it was hard and it was difficult and but then you I guess if you start from that kernel um, and you help build it up you're like okay I, I definitely I have the confidence now that I've um, I can achieve that and also I've learned a bunch of lessons in the things that went wrong again in this most recent experience because obviously it didn't all go perfectly mm. um, and then as I've moved on it. Latest role with Mind Gym that was starting with zero people and we're up to about thirty engineers now. Um, and again, it was no platform, so I built a platform from scratch. Um, and I've, I think I'm becoming a little bit addicted to that early stage of growth.
0: Why? Because it's so hard.
1: <laughs> I've asked. I asked myself as well. Because yeah, you're right. You find yourself on a on a conveyor belt of hiring and um, sort of riding a wave of complexity. You know, I guess as you're trying to make. Those early decisions and those early bets to try and place the right bets. Um, Maybe, maybe, and maybe I've got another 10 years in me of um, the the energy to enjoy that early, those early stages. Um, Yeah. Do you know, I quite like not being able to achieve everything you want to achieve. You know, it's just impossible. And therefore, you sort of need to accept it um, and just go after the. Um, The things that you think are most important. Sorry, let me kill water. There we go. You've just gone through that same journey as well, right? Like Mm. about four years ago. Mm. Mm. And did you enjoy it? Did did you have you come out of it thinking, oh my God, never again?
0: I mean, I'm still in it, but um, I mean, I, I can really empathize with your thought on I quite like the pain of it in some way. In some odd way, if you don't have tasks that you haven't been able to complete, then you know you haven't challenged yourself enough, and it hasn't been hard enough. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, uh, there's definitely an addiction to that, to that hard work and doing things that are so difficult that they they just seem seem unbearable at times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think an important part of it for me is the product idea, um, you know, it's a, and it being been something unusual, you know, and something that's not quite, it's not like another e-com platform, it's not another financial services messaging system, Um the, and the, because of the product idea, right, then is something that infuses me and gets me excited about going on the journey, which then makes it easier to get other people to buy – because I'm enthusiastic about it, it makes it easier to then get other people to go on the journey with me.
0: Mm. What was it about Onzo that was so exciting?
1: Um, Something different. So, so I guess actually just to explain what it was, um, and still is actually, the company still exists, is um, – Taking a stream of smart meter data from uh, from different energy providers um, and providing analytics on the smart meter data and giving the analytics back to the company that's giving you the data, and it was just unusual. Um, it's completely different to the the other jobs that i have seen advertised. Um, quite a small sector as well, you know. Even as you get into it, there's not a huge amount of companies that are doing it well. Um, And the other thing that interested me with it was that bit of um, check your imposter syndrome and it's a mess and it needed sorting out. Um, So so as you talk about addiction of sort of different um, sets of challenges, I really enjoyed taking something that's a little bit broken and getting it back on an even queue. Hmm.
0: Do you find that you have the same tendency to like the really really hard challenges and do things that are a little bit painful outside of work as well as inside of work
1: um yes sorry Uh, this probably doesn't come through on a podcast i'm sat here grinning i'm just thinking about what my wife would say about me um so yeah um, (laughs) and but not not in a like in a hiking the three peaks in 24 hours sense more in the slightly mundane so taking on jobs at home that are way too big I'm shoveling 40 tons of soil to, to landscape your back garden by hand, that sort of thing. Um, that doesn't yeah, or, sound like you know, what
0: a typical CTO does at the weekend.
1: <laughs> no, but it's exercise as well. It's exercise and it's, it's something that is constructive and you can see the fruits of your labour quite quickly instead of it being a multi-year project to, um, to sort of change the direction of a company.
0: And what does that mean? Look like now at Mind Gym.
1: Yeah, so again, Mind Gym has been an interesting one. Those others, so I've not really spoken about it. I've been there for two years, come this April. So yeah, nearly two years now. Um, started with no team, so like no no engineers, no data team. We're up to thirty ish engineers and data people. Um, putting new products together from scratch. Um, and it's and it, as a business, again, like an unusual domain. So, not, you know, again, not another e com platform, not another um, sort of financial services thing. Um, is, uh oh God, it's like behavioral science-backed um, management and leadership. Um, so, you know, like driving behavior change inside businesses. Um, and, so, and that behavioral science part of it, about, Completely different demand to anything I've done is what part of what's drawn me into this one. In fact, as I was looking around in the last set of opportunities, it was it wasn't even a decision. It was like a really easy. Yeah, definitely the thing that I'm going to go and do. Um, it's been so it's my first CTR role as well, which is worth saying. So uh, leading up to this, everything's been sort of head of engineering, top level and lower. Um. So it's been interesting in that there's there's like a new layer of complexity or multiple layers of complexity to add to the things I've needed to worry about before um, and look after the corporate IT because we're, we're a 350-person company. So I look after the corporate IT team at the same time as um, engineering and data, um, which, again, brings its own challenges. It's completely it's outside of the realm of anything that I've been responsible for before. Um, and I guess you can bring the management and leadership skills to bear and a little bit of the technology, but it's completely different, you know, because it's about service management and stability rather than, uh, than change and innovation, for example.
0: Hmm. I'd love to dive into what position you were in as you were leaving Onzo and how you were making the the decisions here. It um, sounds like there are almost two things that are happening. One is you used that funnel for the first, for the first time. How, how did you go about doing that? And then the second is given that this is your first cto role did you proactively choose to only go after cto roles there or did it just come up
1: so yeah i guess answer the question two i'm going to answer the second part first um i didn't intend on moving into a cto role um it was um it was the role that caught my eye rather than me consciously going after one i think i always thought i'd like to be a cto at some point um, but in terms of applying, I was looking at everything from senior Kotlin engineer um, through quite a lot of head of engineering roles. I think this was the only CTO role on the list. Um, and yeah, it was absolutely it was the role on the company that caught my eye. Um, in terms of um, using a funnel to track my applications, I guess I've been using Trello reasonably heavily in the day job before I moved. Um and, and it just made sense. You know, it was an easy way to add a few columns and keep track of where I was in terms of stages, um, but then just found myself on the actual Trello cards as well. If you know, you, I guess in, in a Trello card for people that have not used it, you can go in, you can add a description, you can add comments, et cetera. So it was a really easy way of keeping track of my, uh, my background research on each company before I went into an initial conversation, um, maybe pr- links to the profiles of the people that I was due to speak to, um, any questions that I wanted to ask, um, and it was a dead easy way of adding my notes off the back of those different interview stages as well, um, and just keeping track of it all, and then either moving it across the board or just shutting it down and getting rid of it.
0: How did you do your due diligence on mine, Jim?
1: Sorry, again, you can't you can't see me smiling. Um, so part of the due diligence was my dad has been a financial director for years. Um, so part of it was using his his knowledge of understanding the, I guess, the commercial structure of a business and as the company you're about to go and work for a sound and good idea. So that's that's like the uh that's one part of it. Um and actually, so my dad's an accountant, my dad's wife's an accountant, my brother's an accountant. So I guess leaning on that side of the family to help for the financial side. Yeah. Um but I guess that, that's like hygiene level. That's not the, you know, is this the company you really want to go and work for? Um, so alongside that, I guess how, I'm trying to think generically, how do I go about researching any company before I go and start there? Um, so I'd start with, interestingly, I don't start with the company's website. i maybe have a quick little look just to see do I understand what you do or can I understand what you do from your website as well? Do you communicate it clearly? Um, if it's a certain size of company, take a look at a Wikipedia article just to sort of get a look at the, the history and what's shared out there in public. Um, start looking on LinkedIn um, just to understand how many employees do you have on there? What's the size of the company? Do I recognize the profiles of people in there? Do I have uh, mutual, um, you know, do I know people that were there or are there things like second degree connections going on? So do I know people who know people who work there? Um Glassdoor reviews as well. Um, and Glassdoor reviews, there's always going to be some positive and some negative, but, you know, taking taking a look through the detail of some of those to really understand, are there common grievances or are there common positives that are coming out of it? Um, if it's – sorry, I'm going into quite a lot of detail here, but if it's like a funded business as well, start looking at things.
0: No, it's really helpful.
1: Um, start looking at things like Crunchbase to understand the funding rounds a company's gone through. Um do you have any public GitHub profiles? Um, sorry, not GitHub profile. Do you have a, any public repositories in your GitHub organization? Um, especially if I'm going for a technical test as well. I shouldn't say this because if people are going to interview me, mind you, and they'll go in and look in our public repositories. So, for example, are there any coding challenges that are over? there? You know, and, and therefore, if I'm looking for a technical role, can I pre prepare because you've already got your GitHub profile over? I'm going to have to hide out now as I come off this. Um. What else? Um, news articles as well tend to be quite interesting. Um, it only gives you one angle because it's the it's what's driven by the press releases, etc. Uh, but look for any you know big and significant news, especially around things like acquisitions. So it has has the business I'm looking at acquired other companies, and therefore should I expect that there's this this mixture of people and technology that's come through acquisitions? Um, or similarly, are there rumours of you been acquired as a business, or have you recently been acquired? Because then you're part of a bigger hole.
0: This is a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't do,
1: I, and I would then ask why. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's an unusual set of things to do because you do that in less than an hour. You know, if you really just crank away and 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 rip through the different sources quite quickly, um, it doesn't take a long time before you. Sort of get into that conversation with the company. I'd maybe do twenty minutes before the first, my very first recruiter call, um, to help be, like, plausible as a candidate. You know, so that you've got a little bit of insight, but not well, not waste too much time because it might not go anywhere. And then I guess do like another half an hour before you get into speaking to the hiring manager, um, and then only do a little bit more if you, if I'm really then trying to answer my questions of do I want to work here or not. I'd sorry, all I was going to say is I'd find it shocking that other people don't do that.
0: If if that's your due diligence, before you go in, before you meet them, how do you go about doing it when you're in that conversation?
1: You mean like in terms of interview preparation?
0: Kind of like there's almost this like there's this layer, um, Pardon you, um, the before you go in. Do the due diligence in the way that you did, but there's also parts of it where all of that information is like publicly available information. Um, what other information do you try and garner that's not public? Um,
1: I guess that having that information turning up to an interview helps you prepare with the wrong questions so that you can sort of push buttons with the interviewers and. Um, and tease away at the things where you think there might be challenging areas. You know, so if you think there's struggles with funding or particular relationships in the business, that sort of thing. Um, I, so that's one aspect, is help, help me to ask the right questions in an interview situation. And even if I don't get a direct answer, um, I'll be able to gauge comfort levels to understand whether I've touched on a nerve or not. Um, And actually, um, what I'd be looking for in terms of the people that I want to work with is really good candour. So if there is a challenging area, I want them to just talk about it and give me a a reasonably straightforward answer. Um, Another aspect is um, that that piece of are there second and third degree connections? So do I know someone who knows someone who works there and can I get in touch for a bit of a conversation? Um, or even better, if I know someone that I trust that currently works in the company um, I can get into a couple of conversations with. So yeah, in my last round of hunting, actually, there was one in particular that I knew two people who worked in there, like a senior data role and a, an engineering role. And he gave me really good insight into the way that things were working at ground level, and then also in the senior data role, the direction that the company was taking in the future. And I typically just ply them with food and drink as a bit of a bribe.
0: What things do you look out for that are non-verbal that give you a taste of what it might be like to wear there?
1: You mean in terms of whilst you're having the conversation, the, the cues in terms of mm. um, people's responses? That's yeah, interesting. I don't. I don't know that I'm necessarily conscious. It's, it's more of a subconscious. I can. My intuition tells me that you're not. Um, you're not comfortable with that line of questioning. Um, I really don't know. I guess there's there's like a a shift in body language of, did did you move from quite an open and relaxed posture to sort of tightening up and, and closing in a little bit? Um, do you, you know? Do you go from sort of quite free flowing conversation into um, struggling for the, the words to come out and to find the response? Um, mm-hmm. This is verbal, but I watch out. You know what I mean by weasel words? No. Uh, weasel the the business you know the, like the business fluff language as somebody starts trying to fill the gap as we're okay, trying yeah. to think about oh, right, how do I how do I answer this. Um, and start saying a lot of things. Start start speaking a lot without saying anything is the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, it's become harder as well, right? Because a lot of what you do now is remote. You know, so as much as I we're talking now, it is almost like we're talking through a potato camera a little bit because it's really pixelated. I can you know, I can see you moving around a lot, vice versa with me but it's much harder to pick up on, like, a shift in energy in the room as it would have been when you'd have been face-to-face in the past. Um, Actually, that does touch on one more thing, but I guess if there are two people interviewing you, to watch for for the little um, looks between those two people as you say something or, or ask something, you know, that look of discomfort as one person looks to another as if to say, am I allowed to talk about that? Especially when it's a little bit hierarchical, that can tease one more thing out as well. Actually, um, that um, especially when you, if you have like a hiring manager and a, and a direct report that are interviewing, um, something I try and do when we're interviewing is if somebody asks a, you know, the type of question about what would you change about working here. Um, trying and explicitly say to the people that are my direct reports, just be really candid, you know, and say it clearly in front of the interviewee as well. Um and I'd almost want to see that in, in any place that I'm looking to go to as well. You know, for the for the for the manager or the leader to be trying to break down the hierarchy a little bit and to push for candor with candidates.
0: I'd like to switch gears a little bit and and ask. How do you know when you're doing your best work?
1: There a, there are a few indications. Um, there's, there's the happy feeling of, I have a list of things I was trying, you know, like, like a list of impacts that I was trying to have for this week or for this month or for this quarter. And I've achieved the things I was aiming towards. Um, there's the, the secondary effect of, and I can see the impact that this has had. So this has moved the needle in terms of, you now, some key numbers move from tech, for example, I can see the evidence of the shift. Um, you have a team that you can feel the sort of buzz with, that people are happy, your, your attrition's low, people are sticking, and I guess that's, that's partly like a facet of my role as well. You know, it's all about creating that happy environment that people, as happy is not the right word. Um, but creating the environment where people are infused and and want to stick around and want to carry on working there, um, so yeah, therefore low attrition and and it makes it even easier to hire in and to bring new people in because we see it in the people that are interviewing them. Um, and and as much as I've said, happy is not what word I'm looking for. For me, I need to be enjoying it. You know, I need I need to be motivated and. Um, and excited about the things I'm doing day in day out. Someone said to me quite recently as well, actually, that um, there's an important bit that your your values tend to be quite stable, you know, and your values don't tend to change even though you move across different companies. And therefore you need to be in a company where the values of the company match match your own. And if you find those two uh, sort of incongruent and not matching each other, you'll be quite un- quite unhappy quite quickly. Um, I think I've probably not noticed because I've been lucky that the last the last three groups of people I've worked with have all been quite well aligned
0: and have you made a proactive conscious effort to understand your own values
1: nope. <laughs> no' unfortunately, yeah um i i tend i just gravitate towards what the things that I enjoy um and try to do the um trying to do a decent job of the things I don't enjoy. And by by putting lots of effort into the things I do enjoy and, and just good enough into the things I don't enjoy, it sort of led me down a certain path. I realise that's not about values as well. Though. Um, I guess as much as I say no, I have reflected on them a little bit in the past. Um, and definitely things like um, my moral compass is very important to me and my integrity. So I'm, and the, I guess, being very i mentioned it a few times in this conversation. Actually, been very open and candid with the people that are around me, um, because it, then it allows me to not wear different to, not wear masks that are too different for different conversations, um, and it just mm. makes my life easy. I can just I can just be me as I sort of bumble along. Basically, bumbling is probably not the best way to describe a career path for a CTO, but... <laughs>
0: uh, And as a and, great point, and- if. If you can find somewhere that aligns with your values, then you don't have to wear those masks in any circumstance.
1: Yep. Yep, completely. And, and therefore it needs to start right with the initial interviews of just sort of being yourself um, and it then either works or it doesn't.
0: How do you know when you're being motivated in your career by decisions that you're making intrinsically? Versus decisions that are kind of you worrying about whether you are in the right place or not, and those external parts that are seeping into your motivation.
1: It t- and it takes time to start recognizing um, Like and when I say time, like genuinely, maybe ten years on my part. So, and I guess because it's not, I've not stopped and introspected about it and thought about where are where are those motivators. So I guess some telltale signs are if it's an extr- extrinsic motivator. You will get the the nice warm fluffy feeling, and it will pass quite quickly. And you know, and it will it will almost have felt um, could could feel hollow afterwards, and that could be someone's giving me a little pat on the back, and they've you know they've said nice things about me, and then the glow the glow has faded afterwards. Or it could be um, a like a salary increase, and uh, and it's great. You know, but by the time the first paychecks come in an increased salary, I've probably forgotten about it and I've moved on. Um, and recognition of intrinsic is I guess is the is for stuff that keeps you up at night. So when if you know maybe not keeps you up at night, but when you wake up and you're thinking about something for work and you're excited about it and you're trying to work out how do I solve this problem, that's probably an intrinsic motivator.
0: Thanks so much for breaking it all down, Dave. I've loved chatting, mate. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been an enjoyable conversation. It's been great. I
0: really enjoyed it. The Best Work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at Cord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at chord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.